Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. All right, so as Naomi said, my name is Peter, and I'm back sharing with you again by popular demand. (laughs) Admittedly, mainly me demanding to be popular, but whatever counts, right? So I hope everyone enjoyed the summer on Monday. Uh, I was in work in an office that, for reasons known only to senior management in the Belfast Trust, had the heat on. So if any of you are worried about how the government are spending your taxes, the good news is if you give to the offerings here, you can actually fill in a gift aid form and we can reclaim some of that money back from them and spend it on spreading the news of Jesus rather than heating offices on the hottest day of the year. Now, don't worry if this is the day that your friend that you've been inviting for weeks has finally turned up. This isn't going to be a message about giving. You can relax. I want to start this morning by asking you a question. Has anyone here ever been rejected? Is there anyone here maybe this morning struggling with feeling overlooked? Have you ever wondered how exactly we're supposed to deal with rejection? Because let's be real, we're all going to face rejection at some point in life. This morning, I want to look at how we can be rejected how we can end up causing others to feel rejected, and then finally to to look at how we can overcome rejection. And to do that, I want to lean into some examples from the Bible. But before we do that, why don't we pray over this morning's message? Father God, we just give this time over to you. Pray that this would not be my words, but it would be your words, that you would speak and bring life and hope to people in this church today and people watching online. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and Just let whatever is helpful stick in people's hearts, and whatever is just of me, let it be forgotten. Pray that you would speak to us now. Amen. So first of all, let me share a memory from my time playing school rugby at Wallace High School, or at least being in the general area where rugby happened. I was going through some of my mum's old photos the other day, trying to find some action shots of me playing rugby, and for some reason she seems to have thrown away that collection. I don't know if any of you have ever played sport at school, but the way it worked at Wallace was every Friday at break time, the team sheet would have gone up outside the changing rooms and you would have looked to see what team you were on and what position you were playing, or in my case, if you were actually playing at all, or as I prefer to think of it, if I was being tactically arrested. You see, I think being overlooked is something we can all relate to, and probably in something far more significant than a school sports team. This week, we've all been overlooked by the the sun and the heat that the rest of Europe got. But be it being overlooked for a a job promotion, or being the least favorite sibling, or being the person that's always attending weddings and never getting to have your own, we all experience times whenever we're ignored or overlooked. And the natural fleshy response in those moments is to want to seek revenge, to want to get back at those who've overlooked us. And it's no surprise whenever we look to the Bible that we also find examples of people who've been overlooked too. One that stands out to me is the example of Leah, and we read about her in Genesis 29. Now, before we go into the chapter, a little bit of context, because a text without a context is a... Someone was listening last time I spoke. One person. (laughs) Yeah, a text without a context can easily be a con. So I spoke a couple of weeks ago about Lot and Lot's wife. Well, you see, Lot had an uncle, Abraham. You may have heard of him. He had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. (laughs) Worship team, how can we get that back on the rotation? Abraham, he had a son called Isaac, who had two twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the firstborn, and he was Isaac's favorite. He was a real manly man. 
into hunting and eating rare steak. If he was here this morning, he would make our personal trainer, Tegan, look weak. Jacob, he was more of an artisan. He would have been more likely to join Dylan for a six-course taster menu than Tim for a CrossFit session. And as Isaac approached the end of his life, he wanted to pass on a blessing to Esau because he was the favored elder son. You see, that blessing was significant because God had promised Abraham that through him, a savior would come and only one child in each generation could carry that forward. So Isaac wanted to pass it on to Esau. But Jacob, having felt the sting of rejection all his life, finally sees an opportunity. You see, whilst Esau is out hunting to make a fancy, fresh, wild game stew for his dad, Jacob rustles up a quick Uncle Ben's sauce-in-a-jar stew with some of the family goats. And he takes advantage of the fact that his dad's now pretty much blind and sneaks in to steal the blessing for himself. Now, obviously, things start to unravel whenever Esau turns up with the fresh stew and Isaac realizes he's been tricked. Esau, as you can imagine, isn't too pleased at having been cheated out of a blessing. In fact, he vows that he's going to kill his brother Jacob in return. So Jacob has to flee to the land of Haran, where his uncle Laban lives. And so we pick up the story in Genesis 29, verse 9, with Jacob having just arrived at a well in Haran. So I'm going to be reading this morning from the New Living Translation, as I have this slick black NLT Bible that I think looks really authoritative to preach from. You know what they say, the the bigger the Bible, the more spiritual the person. Now, before anyone starts to complain, don't worry, this isn't a real lever cover. It's full lever. Uh, My real lever-bound Bible costs far too much to take out of the house. If you are taking notes this morning, the the title I've given this morning's message is Dealing with Rejection. I did try to come up with a a nice, cheesy, slightly outdated pop cultural reference, but inspiration failed me. So if anyone has any thoughts on a better title, come up to me afterwards and we can get it changed for the podcast. So turning to Genesis 29 and starting at verse 9. So this is a slightly lengthy narrative, but it has more relationship drama than an episode of Love Island. So hopefully you'll be able to follow along. Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived with her father's flock, for she was a shepherd. And because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and because the sheep and goats belonged to his uncle Laban, Jacob went over to the well and moved the stone from its mouth and watered his uncle's flock. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and he wept aloud. He explained to Rachel that he was her cousin on her father's side, the son of her aunt Rebekah. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father, Laban. As soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced and kissed him, and he brought him home. When Jacob had told him his story, Laban exclaimed, You really are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, You shouldn't work for me without pay, just because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. So Jacob was in love with Rachel, and he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. But his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited everyone into the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night, when it was dark, 
Laban took Leah to Jacob, and he slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpha, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked for seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over, then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban for the additional seven years. So let's unpack that a bit. Jacob had gone to Haran to find a wife, and he found this attractive shepherdess called Rachel, who's described as being beautiful in form and appearance, which is Hebrew for super hot, cute face, great body, and Jacob decides he's going to marry her. But there's a problem. Rachel has an older sister, Leah, who is not so attractive. It says that her eyes had no sparkle, or in some translations it says her eyes were weak. And it's one of those phrases that's a bit difficult to translate properly and to understand. But given that it's mentioned in contrast to Rachel's beauty, it probably means that there was something about Leah's eyes that made her really unattractive, ugly even. Maybe they protruded really far out, or maybe she was cross-eyed. We don't really know, but we know that in some way she was undesirable. And you see, in that culture, the older sister always got married first. But Jacob overlooked Leah and went for the hotter, younger sister instead. And this was a major snub for Leah. So Leah and her father, they get crafty. In the dark of the late night wedding celebrations, she takes Rachel's place and pushes herself into the big I do moment. Now, remember, in that culture, obviously at the wedding, the bride would have been heavily veiled. Everyone would have been drinking throughout the day, plenty of wine. And then late at night when they went into the tent, obviously they had no electric, so it would have been dark. It would be a lot harder to pull that stunt off today, just in case anyone's getting any ideas. So Leah decides that she's going to get what she wanted her way, and it led to years of bitterness and rivalry between her and her sister, Rachel. Now, I do need to give a bit of a, a hat tip to the pastor, Tim Keller, about this message. You see, after I'd had the initial idea, I actually heard one of his talks where he was making a fairly similar trajectory of points. So I've lent on some of his points. I just know that it's unlikely that he's be watching the live stream, but I just wanted to put that out there just in case he is watching and putting angry faces in the live chat thinking that I've plagiarized him. Because you know, really, you never know who's going to watch whenever we share the live stream, actually. We've had so many testimonies here of people that whenever someone's shared that live stream, they've started watching, they've connected with God for the first time. So maybe today you could help someone along by sharing the message with them, either now or later on when it goes up on YouTube. Now, you might be wondering in this story, who are we meant to root for? It's, it's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? All the characters are flawed. Jacob deceived his dad and objectifies Rachel. Laban misled Jacob. Leah stole her, her sister's husband. And here's the thing. In God's story, there are no human heroes. The message of the Bible is that God uses flawed, broken people, despite their brokenness. The biblical story isn't saying, look at all these people who found God through their great performance and their great morals. Be like them. Instead, over and over again, the Bible shows us these weak people who don't seek the grace that they receive and who don't deserve the grace that they get. You see, the Bible isn't about moral heroes for us to emulate. It's about grace. So what can we learn from this story? What does it have to teach us about dealing with rejection? 
let me share some observations with you. First of all, we see how both Jacob and Leah deal with rejection. We see how they react to being overlooked. All her life, Leah had longed to be married, longed to find someone who would take an interest in her rather than just be using her as a stepping stone to her sister. Leah was overlooked whilst Rachel got all the attention, and so Leah got jealous. She managed to steal her sister's wedding day. Jacob, he had been rejected by his family. He had to flee from his brother. He had to leave the land that he would have been hoping to inherit, and he poured all of his energy into pining after Rachel. She was what he thought about all day, every day. He became obsessed, which meant everyone and everything else got overlooked, pushed to the margins. You see, for Jacob, being overlooked led to an unhealthy obsession with the one thing that he thought would make up for all the rejection that he'd experienced in life. And it can be the same for us, can't it? It may not be a member of the opposite sex you obsess over, but we can obsess maybe on work or sports or Minecraft. So let's press in a little to how obsessed Jacob was with Rachel. Obviously, offering to work for someone for seven years is a bit of a giveaway that you're obsessed. But there's an even bigger clue in verse 21, when Jacob said to Laban, now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. Can anyone here who's married imagine actually going up to your in-laws on your wedding day and saying that? This statement, it's so blunt, so graphic, inappropriate even. It's not the sort of thing you expect to find in the Bible. But what the narrator is doing is he's showing us a man totally and completely driven and obsessed with emotional and sexual longing for one woman. So what's going on here? You see, Jacob's life was empty. He'd never had his father's love. He'd been chased away by his brother. And he had no sense of God's love. He'd lost everything. And then when he saw Rachel, the most beautiful girl he could imagine, he said to himself, if I have her, finally something would be right in my life. If I had her, it would fix things. If I had her, life would have meaning. Jacob does what a lot of us who deal with disappointment do. We search for the answer to life's problems by trying to find that one true romantic love, someone to fulfill us, to give us meaning, to make your life worth living. And obviously it doesn't have to be romance. Whenever we have that inner emptiness, we can try all sorts of things to complete us, be it a career, drugs and alcohol, fast cars. We can turn those things which may not be bad in and of themselves, into idols by making them ultimate things. If I just find the right woman, if I just get one more pay rise, if we just get the new car with the bigger engine, then we'll be happy. Or for me, if I can just get one more book, then my Zoom backdrop will be complete. But only God can satisfy that deep longing for completeness that we all feel. Attempts to find the answer through a spouse or a career will always let us down eventually. I see it all the time in my work as a psychiatrist, particularly with people who've tried to find the answer through a career. And inevitably, whenever they retire or the business fails, suddenly they plunge into crisis. And then they can end up coming to see me because they've tried to numb that emptiness with various illicit substances. There may be some of you here this morning who are longing to get married soon. And if that is you this morning, maybe you could raise a hand and look around to work out who you need to get talking to later. Or maybe you're looking for a new job that will come with the nicer salary and the better work-life balance. Or perhaps you're striving for some recognition, a title, a position to give you validation and to bring an end to your season of feeling overlooked. Church, I want to remind you this morning that no matter what it is you're seeking after in the hope that it will help you overcome those feelings of rejection, though it may look like a Rachel now, in the morning, it will always be Leah. Jacob, he was trying to make his life worthwhile by getting a wife. He was trying to find completeness 
through a wife, but we only find completion through Jesus. Everything else is going to let us down. Everything else will, in the morning, turn out to be Leah. You see, I believe that no matter whether you know it or not, everyone is on a search for Jesus. He's the only one that can truly satisfy our heart's desires. He's the only one that's never going to let us down. Jesus is the true bridegroom that we seek. Jesus was the only one that could give to Leah the unconditional love that she craved, a love that went beyond physical attraction, a love not conditioned on anything, a love that was deep and fulfilling. And Jesus is the bridegroom that we are seeking too. And all along, whilst Jacob was obsessing over Rachel, Leah was there alone in the corner, overlooked and rejected. Which brings me to my second observation, that we all have to deal with being overlooked. At my work at the moment, they're currently interviewing for a couple of new staff members. And after shortlisting, after narrowing down all the, the No Hope candidates, they've got it down to 40 applicants who are going to be interviewed for just two jobs. If any of you are in the job hunt at the moment, you've probably experienced that yourself, and you know that at the moment, there's likely to be a lot of rejection along that journey of looking for a new job. Speaking more personally, you may know that I love baking, and I also enjoy the Bake Off. And after a number of years of people saying, oh, you should go on Bake Off, last autumn I filled in the application form on the website. I uploaded various pictures of some of my bakes, some of the stuff from group nights, and put it on the website and hit submit. And actually, the, the very next day, I got a phone call from one of the producers who wanted to ask a few more questions. And they told me that I should hear more at the start of the year if I was going to be on the show. Now, given that I'm here this morning and not standing in a tent in the English countryside, peering into an oven to see if my bread's risen, you can probably see where this is going. Yeah, I've been ghosted by Paul Hollywood. And what we see in this story in the Bible is that we'll all likely have to deal with being overlooked. Leah was overlooked, but before that, Jacob was overlooked. He was overlooked by his family, and he dealt with it by the search for approval and acceptance that he hoped would come by working for Laban and marrying Rachel. For us today, maybe that search for approval to make up for the rejection we've experienced in life can look like living for social media likes, doing it for the gram, picking what restaurant you go to based on what will make a better snap for our feed than a better feed for our stomach. But here's the thing, if you live for people's acceptance, then you're going to be crushed by their rejection whenever it inevitably comes. However, if we build our identity on our relationship with God, we can stand secure on that solid rock because he's never going to reject or forsake us. He's never going to overlook us. Jacob was overlooked by his family, and in turn, he overlooked Leah because it's true, isn't it, that hurt people hurt people, broken people break people, and rejected people reject people. In psychology, they refer to this concept as what we don't repair, we repeat, whereby dysfunctional patterns from our childhood are learned and repeated from generation to generation. But in Jesus, we can break the cycle. Because when we come to Jesus, hurt people receive healing. Broken people find comfort, and rejected people find acceptance. And often, we can be guilty of overlooking people without even realizing that we're doing it. You see, just like Jacob overlooked Leah because he was obsessing over Rachel, whenever we obsess over our career or the accumulation of wealth or the latest Netflix show to binge, we can end up overlooking, neglecting, and rejecting the very people around us that God has called us to be a light on a hill to. Leah, she forces her way into marriage. All her life, she's grown up in the shadow of her, older, her, of her younger, stunning sister. And now that she thinks she's achieved this moment that she's dreamed of all her life, the moment that seemed so far out of reach for so long, 
She's got her husband. But the problem is, Jacob's married to Rachel too. And so Leah has to watch every day as he delights in the sister she's always been negatively compared to. Leah's saga of being overlooked continues as Jacob continues to prefer Rachel. And it leads to all sorts of jealousy and spite between Leah and Rachel, a jealousy which incidentally will continue through to their children in the next generation. And the temptation is always there for us whenever we feel rejected, to try and force our way in, to get what we think we deserve, or at least some version of it. If we're feeling overlooked in the search for Mr. or Mrs. Wright, the temptation is to settle for a string of quick hookups. But what we see in the story of Rachel and Leah is that whenever we try to do it our own way, in our own timing, rather than trusting God's plans, usually it'll lead to all sorts of additional pain and headaches, not just for us, but for those around us too. We can all get overlooked in our family, in our work, even within our church. It's something we're all going to face, and so it's something we all need to be prepared to handle. You see, I think often going into situations with an awareness that there are going to be challenges and difficulties in and of itself can help us through them. Rather than going in expecting everything's going to be plain sailing and then getting blindsided whenever people inevitably reject us. You see, we live in the tension of the now and not yet of the kingdom of God. Just because we've put our faith in Jesus doesn't mean we won't have hardships this side of heaven, unfortunately. But we do have the hope that we don't face them alone, but rather with the help of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who's there with us when we feel rejected. Sometimes you may feel like people are coming in and overtaking you in work or in church. You can feel overlooked when you see someone else getting a bit of limelight. It can be easy to get bitter and down tools. But maybe God has work he wants to do in us in the season when we feel overlooked because he knows we aren't yet ready for what he has planned for us. So don't give up. Don't lose faith. Lean in and ask the Holy Spirit to be at work in those seasons when you feel overlooked to help renew your mind and transform you more and more into the image of Jesus, so that when that moment of opportunity comes, you will be ready. Whenever you're in your bedroom alone on your knees in prayer, when you're doing your quiet time, doing your daily bread Bible reading, and no one else knows about it, remember, God knows. He sees. He hears. You're not overlooked by God. So my final observation from this story is that the price was paid. You see, in order to marry Rachel, there was a price Jacob had to pay. That was the custom back then. If you wanted to get married, you had to arrange a price with your future father-in-law for the right to marry his daughter. And I remember whenever I asked Sheriff's dad for her hand in marriage, it was actually seven years ago tomorrow. Thankfully, there was no negotiation over a price. I think he was just glad to get her off his credit card bill. But it was a nerve-wracking experience. Sheriff had warned me that he couldn't keep secrets, and so I would have to leave it to the last minute to ask him. Which meant, if he'd said no, I would have been significantly out of pocket because I'd had to already buy the ring by that point. So I had the whole romantic proposal experience planned out and the only thing left to do was to speak to George. But because I had to leave it to the last minute, it was the night before I was planning to propose, I sent him a text saying, would you be free the next morning to go out for a coffee? And unfortunately, he wasn't free. He was actually going up to see his mum in Limavati. So I had to go with a slightly riskier option. I suggested that I could call around to the house before he left, before Sheriff was likely to be awake. So we arranged that, and the next morning at the crack of dawn, I turned up at the house to go through the formalities of asking his blessing to marry Sheriff. Now, obviously, given that I wasn't in the habit of texting him randomly to meet up for a coffee, he probably knew exactly what my plan was, but I still had to go through the process. And thankfully, after a slightly uncomfortable pause, he said yes, so we're married with his blessing. But while I was there, 
Cherif woke up earlier than expected. And the thing that you should know about Cherif's parents' house is that their sitting room has a glass door. And that the stairs from the upstairs where the bedrooms are comes down right beside the sitting room door. So I was sitting there talking to George when we heard Cherif starting to come down the stairs. So I had to dive behind a sofa and then sneak out of the house whilst George distracted Cherif, only to then return an hour later to take her away for the whole romantic proposal. It was a slightly awkward start to the day, but one that's out of love, you put yourself through that moment of vulnerability. You ask your future father-in-law before you propose to your spouse, and I'm sure there's many men here today that can relate to that moment of nervousness, that moment of feeling the sweat drip down your neck as you wait for a response. And maybe there's some guys here today that need to take the step and have that conversation themselves. I can see a few girls giving guys beside them a nudge. Jacob, you see, had that conversation with Laban. He tells him that he wants to marry Rachel, and he's willing to work for Laban for seven years in return. Now, a little bit of context. I mentioned that it was standard in those days that you had to pay the father-in-law, and the standard price was between 30 and 40 shekels. The usual monthly wage was one and a half shekels. Jacob had offered to work for seven years, which, for those of you who haven't brought a calculator with you to church, is 84 months, or 126 shekels, pretty much four times the going rate. Jacob was willing to pay an extortionate price for Rachel. And what's even more extraordinary is there doesn't even seem to have been any negotiation. It looks as if Jacob went straight in with an offer four times higher than what Laban would have been expecting to get. If any of you work in car sales, Jacob is the guy you want to see coming onto your forecourt to buy a car. You see, Jacob loved Rachel and offered to work seven years, but we're reminded in John 3, verse 16, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son not to work for seven years, but to die in our place, to take the punishment we deserved because of our rebellion and sin. You see, Jacob paid the price for one person, but Jesus has paid the price for the whole world. How amazing is that? God so loved the world, the entire world. No one overlooked, no one rejected, no layers left to look on while God poured out love on Rachel. You see, God's love is for all. But the world can feel like a big place. It can be a bit impersonal to throw out statements like, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Maybe we need to break it down a little to make it more tangible. Maybe we need to be reminded today that God so loved the island of Ireland that he gave his one and only son. Or maybe even that's too big. Maybe we need to be reminded that God so loved County Armagh that he gave his one and only son. God so loved Craigavon that he gave his one and only son. God so loved Lurgan that he gave his one and only son. God so loved Portadown that he gave his one and only son. Or maybe we need to go smaller still. God so loved Eden Derry that he gave his one and only son. God so loved Killycomane that he gave his one and only son. God so loved the tunnel region and open street that he gave us one and only son. Or perhaps we need to go even smaller. We need to make this even more tangible. God so loved Sam that he gave us one and only son. God so loved Rachel that he gave us one and only son. God so loved Matthew that he gave us one and only son. God so loved Garfield. So loved Victoria. So loved Chris. So loved Hannah. So loved Jill that he gave his one and only son. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go on, but each of us can insert our own names there. You see, here's the thing. To God, none of us are Leah. None of us are overlooked. When it says that God so loved the world, you are included in that. You're not overlooked by God. No matter what may be in your past, when it says that God loved the world, that means you as well. No matter who may be overlooking you now on earth, you're not overlooked by God. You see, we have a Father who loves us with an unfailing love. 
There's nothing that can separate us from that love. No earthly circumstances will cause God to give up on us or reject us. No matter what you're going through now, no matter what difficulties you're facing, no matter what pain you have to carry, no matter what is going on, Jesus has broken every chain and there's salvation in his name because God so loved the world. You see, Jesus didn't just work for seven years or even 14 years for us. He gave up his life in the most agonizing way and he saw that price as being worth paying. Jacob rolled the stone away from the well so that the animals could get a drink, but Jesus rolled the stone away from the grave so that we could have eternal life. Even more than Jacob treasured Rachel, Jesus treasures us. And maybe that's something you need to hear today. Maybe you feel more like Leah than Rachel. Maybe you don't feel worthy of God's love this morning. But I want to remind you this morning, God loves you. He cares for you. He's the God who fights for us. You're not a mistake to him. You're not too far gone for his love. Though your sin may have left a crimson stain, he longs to wash it white as snow if we'll just receive his love. So as we bring this into land this morning, here's the big take-home message. We're called to be transformed into the image of Jesus. So maybe rather than looking to Jacob or Leah for our example of how to deal with rejection, we should learn from Jesus' example of being overlooked. You see, we're told that Jesus was the cornerstone that the builders rejected. He came to be our saviour, and we hung him on a cross. In Isaiah chapter 53, it tells us that Jesus was despised and rejected by men, that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He embraced the rejection that led to suffering on a cross because he knew that what God would achieve through it was worth it. The power of sin could only have been broken by Jesus dying and being raised to life again. So maybe we need to follow that example and trust that the God who promises to make all things work for the good of those who love him and are called by him has a purpose for our moments of rejection and being overlooked too. Rather than getting spiteful when we feel snubbed or trying to force our way into the limelight when we feel overlooked, we need to follow the example of Jesus and trust that God has a plan even when it seems that everyone around us is advancing while we're being held back. You see, Jesus was rejected so that we need never be rejected or cut off by God. He knew it was only by his death on the cross that we could be restored into relationship with God, our Father. So Jesus did not despise his time of being rejected because he knew how God could use what was meant for evil for our good. He didn't try to force his way onto an earthly throne or obsess over money, relationships, or career to make up for the times he was overlooked by the people he came to save. Jesus trusted that God was at work, even when he was being rejected by men. It doesn't make it easy to handle rejection, but looking to the example of Jesus shows us that it is possible. So if you are feeling rejected by people today, I want to remind you that though people may reject you and overlook you, God never will. And ultimately, his opinion is the only one that matters. So rest in that truth today. Be encouraged by that today. I want to pick up the story of Leah again briefly. You see, it goes on to say that Though Jacob continued to overlook her after the wedding and prefer Rachel, God saw her and God had favor on Leah, giving her children whilst Rachel was initially childless. Her first three sons are called Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And after the birth of each of them, Leah thought that then Jacob would love her and cherish her because she'd given him a son. She was trying to find her identity and deal with the rejection she'd experienced by being a cherished wife and a mother. After each birth though, Leah saw that Jacob continued to prefer Rachel. And we can be just like Leah, can't we? When we get rejected, we keep having sons and thinking that that will solve the problem. Another relationship, another job, another drink. And it always ends up the same. But then in Genesis 29 verse 35, we get this glorious moment of breakthrough. 
It says, Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah, for she said, Now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. You see, what happens here is Leah stops trying to earn the love of Jacob through having sons, and instead she received the love of God given to her as a gift, and that becomes the source of her joy and praise in life. She stopped focusing on the opinions of the people in her life who were overlooking her, and instead turned to the God who will never reject us. So maybe there is an example to follow from Leah after all. She came to that point of realizing that even though people may reject her, it didn't mean God had rejected her. He still has plans for us, even when it looks like the world has overlooked us. You see, the way to deal with rejection is to look to Jesus, to be reminded that our Father will never reject us, to praise him regardless of our current circumstances, for we know the price has been paid and our future has been secured. Whenever we feel overlooked, as we wait for God to open the doors that we're longing for, we must praise him in the hallways. And here's something really significant. I don't know if you're familiar with Matthew chapter 1, It lists out a long line of names from the earthly family tree of Jesus. It's one of those passages that usually people just skim over. And it goes right the way back to Abraham. And who do we find in it but Judah? You see, Jacob chose Rachel because of her natural beauty, but God chose Leah to be part of the lineage of Jesus. God doesn't love us because we're beautiful. We become beautiful because God loves us. So when you feel like a Leah, overlooked and rejected, remember this. God has set his love on you unconditionally not dependent on how you perform or anything you do. Take comfort in that this morning. You may feel like a Leah, ugly, unloved, blemished, but to God, you're always going to be a Rachel, beautiful, desired, loved, clothed in righteousness, because he calls us his masterpiece. We have a God who's never going to leave or forsake us. He was faithful then, and he's faithful now, because people may betray or reject you, but our God never will. You see, all of our faiths have God at the the top of a ladder. You have to climb all these steps of righteousness to get closer to God. If you'll be moral, hardworking, memorize all the sacred texts, be generous to the poor, all these boxes to tick. But the Bible gives us a God completely opposite to that. You see, we worship a God who came down to us, who stepped into our Egypt. We worship a God who doesn't expect us to earn his love, but who so loved the world that he gave his son as a gift of grace to restore us into a relationship with him. We worship a God who doesn't just care about the best of the best, but who gave his life for the outcasts, the marginalized, and society's rejects too. We worship a God who doesn't just love us when we're beautiful, but who loves us in our ugly Leah moments too. So as we draw to a close, let me give you a few final practical applications. First of all, if you're someone who has been rejected, betrayed, maybe divorced and you didn't want to be, feeling like a Leah, I want you to remember today that God knows what it's like to be rejected. He didn't just love Leah, but he actually became Leah. He became the son of Leah. He came to his own, and his own received him not. You see, our God understands rejection. And from what we can see in the Bible, he's attracted to people in in that position. It's in his nature. So don't worry. He knows what you're going through, and he cares for you. Secondly, don't let marriage become an idol for you. If you understand that in the morning, it will always be Leah, maybe it will make some of us a little less desperate in our search for marriage, and it will make some of us who are married a little less angry at our spouse for their moments of imperfection. Hope Cherif's taking notes at that point. Finally, you may feel ugly. You may not feel physically ugly today, but maybe you feel ugly because of what you've done. Maybe you feel unworthy because of what's happened to you in the past. Maybe this morning you feel that you're drowning in shame. 
remember today that the hope of the gospel is that no matter how ugly we feel, no matter how unworthy we think we are, we have a bridegroom who declares that we are worth paying the price to redeem. So meditate and remember that truth. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.